own right. Matthew 8, beginning in verse 18. Let's read and then we'll pray. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a scribe came and said to him, or a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him, and they awoke him, saying, Lord, save us! We, we are perishing! But he said to them, why are you fearful, O oh, you of little faith? <laughs> then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When he had come to the other side, to the country of the uh, Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a good way off from there, or from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go <clears throat> sorry, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Uh, let's pray while the coffee brews. <laughs> uh, Father, you are indeed uh, incredibly gracious with us. And with the, the, really the myriad of thoughts and of desires, of wants represented in this room, and the myriad of um, needs, Lord. It is to you that we look. It's in you that we are trusting, Lord. Will you speak to each of us? Because it's you that we need to hear, not, not just some uh, encouraging word. It is you that we need, Lord, not simply something from you. And you've given yourself to us. And it is our joy and our delight to grow more and more in understanding what that means. That we are your precious, dear children adopted into your family, brought in by the blood of Jesus. 
and to know what is your great care for us. Even when we misunderstand the circumstances that we might face. Lord, will you, will you show us that our faith might grow, that our trust in you, uh, that it would increase, Lord. Help us to trust you, I pray in Jesus' name. Help, Lord. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so in Jesus' ministry here, in the early part of his ministry, there are a lot of people that are um, beginning to crowd around him. Some of that is centered around a couple of things. It's centered around the fact that uh, he's doing incredible miracles. He's teaching things that they hadn't really heard taught before. He's basing his authority and what he's saying on himself rather than on previous rabbis. And um, as he's doing all, I mean, the miraculous things that he's doing, it says in several places, Matthew's going to record it several times, it's just going to say all the pe sick people that came to him, he healed, right? We're going to read about lots of different miracles as we continue in this section of uh, Matthew's gospel here. But the last, uh, or really the first of those miracles that Matthew brings up for us that we looked at last week in the beginning of Matthew 8 was the cleansing of the leper. That was a miracle that the Jews believed uh, was what they would call a messianic miracle. There were several miracles, numerous miracles that they believed anybody could do with God's help. Uh, but there were uh, three primarily that they believed only the Messiah would be able to do. Uh, one of those was to cleanse a leper. And part of the reason for that tradition, it was part of the oral tradition in Israel, part of the reason for that was that no one in, in Jewish history had ever been cleansed of leprosy. <laughs> no Jewish person had ever been cleansed of leprosy. We mentioned it last week, Naaman the Syrian was, uh, but he was not an Israelite. So uh, it was one of them... Another of them was the casting out of a mute demon, a demon who caused a person not to be able to speak. And the reason for that was that Jewish exorcists, which were a common thing, they were a normal thing, these Jewish exorcists, what they would do, the practice that they were taught for exorcism was to speak to a demon and to ask, it, ask the demon its name and then to command the demon to leave a person alone by its name. So, of course, if the person is mute you can't find out the demon's name, right? So therefore, you couldn't, according to uh, the exorcism traditions of, of Israel, you couldn't uh, cast the demon out. So it was uh, believed that the Messiah would be able to cast out mute demons. Um, and uh, a third miracle that was considered a messianic miracle was uh, the healing of someone who was born with some sort of defect. Okay. And of course, you have that lengthy section in John's Gospel about the man who was born blind. And there's a reason why the Jewish leaders were so... I mean, there's a reason why it's written the way it is. There's a reason why they gave it so much attention, you know, uh, because it was considered to be one of the Messianic miracles. So after Jesus healed the leper, he says to the leper, Listen, dude, don't tell anybody... This is slightly paraphrased. Don't tell anybody, bro... Uh, what happened, but go and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded, right? And I mentioned last week that as he goes and he begins to bring this up, hey, I had leprosy, I've been cleansed now, he would have been exiled from the community because of his leprosy, and it would have been the priests themselves who performed that uh, basically excommunication. They were the ones who were to examine him. They were the doctors, if you would. They would have examined him, and if the leprosy was determined to be what the law of Moses called leprosy, uh, not necessarily exactly what we refer to as leprosy nowadays, a little uh, possibly different. It referred to uh, certain types of uh, skin diseases, but um, and possibly neurological ones, actually. But anyhow, um, regardless, um, <clears throat> they would have been the ones who determined that he was not allowed to be around uh, the normal part of Israel. He couldn't go into the temple to worship. He would be exiled from the city wherever he lived. He would be required to stay away from all of that and probably live in, an, in a leper colony or leper, leper community. Leper, 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 leopard, leopard. No, leper. Um, so, Jesus commands him to go back, like we talked about last week, and to offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded. So, what this is going to do, and really we'll get there next week, is... Um, when Matthew 9 begins, we're going to find Jesus going back to Capernaum, which is sort of his headquarters here in this part of his ministry. We're going to find him going back to Capernaum, and when he gets back, he's in a house, and guess who shows up? There's a bunch of the religious leaders now. Well, why is that? Probably because of the cleansing of the leper. <laughs> 
It was one of the miracles that they said that they believed traditionally that the Messiah would be able to do. So he goes down to back down to the uh, where the temple is. He uh, we assume offers the sacrifice Moses commanded. These priests have never had to do this sacrifice before, you know. So they're amazed by this. So now they're sending probably a delegation and other religious leaders from around the country now are, are centering around where Jesus is. And there are crowds of people gathering around him. This is a pr- pretty popular time in his ministry. But he's going to be rejected by those religious leaders. And as they continue to observe him, they're going to say, the reason why he's able to do this is not because of God's spirit, but because of the power of Beelzebub. Of course, Jesus then says that they've blasphemed the spirit of God. And it would not be forgiven them. And his ministry turns more from a very public ministry to really focusing on his disciples and on teaching them the way of the kingdom. He turns from the very public, open things and turns very much toward ministering and serving and teaching uh, his disciples very directly. That's where um, the gospel writers point us in the story. But there's something here in this part of, as as he's beginning this um, area of ministry, he's given them sort of the constitution of the kingdom and what we call the Sermon on the Mount, as he's laid out what the kingdom of God looks like uh, as as, uh, God's spirit lives in us and those who trust him. And the second part of that's a lot of rain. <laughs> the second part of the second part of um, chapter eight uh, deals with something that, um, as I've considered it, I look at it and I say, this is this is sort of the hard points us to maybe leads us to the hard part of following Jesus. Okay, it, it kind of begins that way. The first section there of Matthew eight, we see some miracles happening. Uh, we see all of that stuff. We talked about it last week. But now uh, he's going to begin uh, in verse 18. Matthew says this. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now, keep in mind this context of this itinerant rabbi teacher in Israel. It was not an uncommon thing for there to be traveling teachers throughout the nation of Israel. And they would call to themselves disciples who would be committed to them. This was a normal thing, and Jesus uh, himself did that as well. Uh, we'll get in chapter 10 to the actual calling of, of the 12. Okay, uh, We're not quite there yet in as far as Matthew's uh, recording of the stories is concerned, but uh, this was a normal thing. But as he's doing this, um, there are crowds of people gathering around him because, I mean, these are pretty fantastic miracles that he's performing. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, as we looked at last week. He cleansed the leper, and he healed the centurion's servant. And he spoke of how the centurion had this great faith, right? So now, um, Matthew says, When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now, if you're in the crowds of people, and and this might sound a little weird, okay, he's in Capernaum, which is a city on the Sea of Galilee, okay, so... That's where you get a command to go to the other side. To the other side of what? The Sea of Galilee, which is a giant, it's a giant, still is, a giant freshwater lake in the northern part of Israel. Um, Nofginosar, Lake Gennesaret, uh, it has many, many different names, but they all refer to this one giant lake. The Sea of Galilee is what it's called. About 13 or, uh, or so miles uh, north, uh, south, and about eight miles, seven to eight miles at its widest, um, east, west, uh, is this big lake. And it is common for there to be storms that kick up pretty quickly uh, on this. So they're in Capernaum. He gives a command to depart to the other side. If you're in this crowd of people, you've got to now make a decision. I'm going to follow him all the way to the other side of the lake. <laughs> okay. Or not? And so now a couple of questions come up. Um, a certain scribe then came and said to him, the scribe being a, uh, another teacher, a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds nice, doesn't it? I will, master, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So Jesus said to him, Foxes, have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Probably not the response that he wanted to hear, right? A lot of our lives are spent seeking um, security and safety 
And if we can't provide those for ourselves, we look to others to provide it for us. <coughs> Government. Uh, <laughs> we trust that uh, frequently that God will make sure that uh, everything is done that is necessary to make sure that we can pay our mortgage or our rent. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This phrase, this phrase Son of Man, is one that's used um, uh, in uh, Daniel and Ezekiel a lot, actually. It certainly is a messianic title. It was one that came to be associated with the Messiah. This phrase, Son of Man. That simple statement, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it, except that it um, kind of scares me. Because <laughs> I like to feel safe. <laughs> and my house makes me feel safe. Helps me to feel safe. But as it relates to following Jesus, as it relates to this certain scribe, this particular teacher, and his decision to follow Jesus and whether or not he would, he gives this great statement, I'll follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus says, essentially, he says, are you sure? Because some of the things that we hold dearly, um, they may not be where he leads us. Following Jesus isn't always safe. In fact, frequently it's not. We live in, in the country that we live in. We live in relative safety, you know, comparatively speaking, to, to much of the world. And so we have uh, a sort of a, we have a very insulated view. And that's one of the reasons why it's easy to call yourself a Christian, I think, in America. It's much easier than in, in many other places where it's a lot harder to follow Jesus. Not only uh, economically, though that's uh, possibly true and certainly is true in, in uh, certain parts of the world, but uh, just just for fear of safety for your life, you know. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <sighs> there is immediately a desire, I think, to lighten some of the weight of Jesus' words at times. <laughs> to rush to say, well, this doesn't mean exactly what it seems to mean. You know? um, let me try and make that practical. Sometimes a person who's decided to follow Jesus will hear him say, I want you to sell everything that you own and go. He doesn't say that to everyone, necessarily. But he does say that to some people. In the end, that basic claim is one that he makes on all of us. That is, that we're to hold everything that we have with open hands. Realizing that he, because he's God, is able to take it away whenever he wants whenever he sees fit. If he deems it good for us to lose something, and that can be hard because that thing that, that may be something that we're holding on to too tightly may be our children, maybe a job, <laughs> maybe a home. <laughs> Lots of things that we can lean on and trust in rather than in the Lord. But I've got to ask the genuine question, what am I here for? Am I here to feel safe? Am I on the earth, alive? Have I been, have I been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, purchased by him just to be safe until I die? <laughs> or is there something else God might be at work doing in the world now that I can participate in, but it might be costly? <laughs> might mean that I have to let go of some safety. Then another of his disciples, verse 21, says, another of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
let me first go and bury my father. That sounds nice, right? I mean, that's, that's an appropriate thing to do, right? If your dad dies, you should go bury him, right? Just appropriate, right? <clears throat> Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Again, immediately, because I've heard this a lot of times. I, I've been through this, taught a bunch, 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 bunch of times. And usually what I hear is like the guy's dad is not yet dead. And so what Jesus is saying is that, or what the guy is essentially saying is that uh, he wants to wait to follow Jesus as a disciple until after his dad dies, whenever that may be, because he's not dead yet. And then... Um, then he's going to bury his dad, and then he's going to do it. Um, listen, that might be the case. The problem that I have is that the text doesn't say that. It just doesn't clearly, plainly say that. And there are some, the idea is that it's kind of drawn from inference, because typically people would have been buried very quickly after they died. Um, typically, and actually still are in the Middle East. Um, um, Part of, I believe, some Islamic beliefs uh, include, and, and this was pre-Islam, so please don't confuse the two, but uh, some Islamic beliefs uh, require that a, a person be put in the grave on the day that they die, like before sundown is the idea. Um, that, that, of course, comes later on in, in human history than what we're reading here, but regardless, whether it was this guy saying, uh, my dad's not dead yet, so let me hang out with my family, and then once my dad dies, then I will come and follow you. Or whether he's saying, let me just go back now, because my dad just died, let me go back now and bury my dad. I, I don't know. But Jesus' response is curious, isn't it? Follow me. You follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. <laughs> How do you say that to somebody? <laughs> Sometimes I'm reminded that, um, uh, honestly, Jesus isn't always PC. Uh, he, he doesn't always say things that sound nice. I mean, that's, again, almost immediately there's this sense of, well, I've got to say something to soften the blow of this. This sounds really insensitive, doesn't it? <laughs> Follow me and let the dead, the dead bury their own dead. It sounds very insensitive. <clears throat> and I'm not going to try and wiggle out of that. <laughs> there was a, a demand that Jesus gives. Remember, the first thing we read was Jesus giving a command to depart to the other side of the lake. And so these guys come to him now, and they're saying, here's some, I mean, what about this? I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, listen, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a place to lay your head down. doesn't mean you're going to have a house to stay in. It doesn't mean that Jesus couldn't pay for the things that needed to be paid for. Paid for. Uh, I mean, goodness. Remember when he was asked about paying the temple tax? He was like, hey, Peter, just go catch a fish, right? <laughs> and so he pulled this fish up, and, and boom, there's some money in it. I mean, he's the Lord, right? He just He can do what he wants. Um, but as he was traveling around doing ministry, he didn't have the security of knowing that there would be a place, a home for him to sleep in every night. Are you sure that you want to follow me? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Lord, let me, I'll, I'll go to the other side of the lake. Let me go bury my dad first. I wonder if some of that, if that's in this immediate context here of what's about to happen when they get to the other side of the lake. Um... It's almost like if you do that, you're going to miss out on the thing that I'm doing over there because he's only there. It seems he's on the other side of the lake almost for one specific thing, and then he's going to leave. It's, it's an amazing, this whole thing is like um, his ministry is based in Capernaum, and then he takes this detour over to the other side of the lake, to the area of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes, to the other side of the lake, and just this one thing happens, and then he goes, he leaves, and that's it. It's this totally random seeming like, why is he even there thing, you know? Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And some have said, suggested the idea here is let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. I, I don't know. I, 
certainly this is not Jesus' way of saying, hey, if you follow in me, you shouldn't worry about funerals, right? Like, that's not what he's saying, right? I think that um, the idea here is rooted in this idea of complete abandonment to following him. In fact, in another place, Jesus is going to say that unless we hate our father and mother, our children, for his sake, for the sake of his kingdom, we're not worthy to follow him. No, I think that's a clear use of hyperbole. Jesus isn't asking us to hate people. <laughs> he's, he's saying that by comparison to your devotion to me, all of these other things are, are just side things. It's me first, right? In fact, that's reflective of the first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Have no other gods before me, not even your family. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Whew. Well then, Lord, <laughs> what happens next? And when he got into a boat, verse 23, his disciples did what? They followed him. Curious. He makes this demand, this call of absolute devotion to himself, and his disciples followed him in this boat. He got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. I've never been on the Sea of Galilee. I have been in a boat a few times, and <laughs> I'm a little intimidated when the water is glassy. <laughs> uh, maybe some of that's rooted in the fact that I didn't, even, I didn't learn how to swim until I was like 12, so... <laughs> I was at uh, St. Mark's one time and uh, leaning through one of the little footbridge things on the railing and I flipped over and fell in the water when I was like five. I was terrified. <laughs> I didn't know how to swim either and I fell in the water. You know, it was not fun. Anyways. Um... <clears throat> so that the boat was covered with the waves. His disciples, many of them, were what? The ones we've already read about that have been called? What was their trade? The two sets of brothers, right? Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John were fishermen. Now, where were they fishermen? On the Sea of Galilee. Like, this was, this was their home turf, man. This was their, their workplace, Right? They're, at, they're like at the place they, they always went for work, and they're on the sea. And so this would not have been an abnormal thing for them. They would have known. They probably would have been in these before. But apparently this was a particularly bad storm. I love Jesus' position. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. <laughs> and almost like matter-of-factly. But he was asleep. <laughs> like... There's so much drama there. Like, everything is chaos for everyone. Even the fishermen are losing their minds, right? According to what they're about to say to him, right? They're, they're in fear for their lives. They think they're, they're perishing. They think they're going to be dead, right? And he's sleeping. Another reminder to me that it's good to get some sleep sometimes. In fact, it's really important that your body gets some sleep sometimes. And Solomon says in one of, one of his psalms, it is vain to rise up early and to stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved rest. It was that verse that struck me in Brunswick. And I realized I had not rested in a long time. <laughs> and something had to change. And I cried a lot. <laughs> he was asleep. All the chaos around him, in fear for their lives, and he's sleeping. I'm sure you've never felt like that before, in the middle of 
whatever the tempest is that you've gone through in your life. You've never felt that way before, right? Like it's been chaos all around you and everything is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We've cried out before, right? And we've prayed and it seems like the Lord is just asleep. <laughs> he literally was <laughs> in this story. Isaiah 26.3 says he will keep you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Sometimes we take Bible verses and we clip them out and we hang them on plaques, you know, placards and we put them up in our house. That's not really one I want to have in my house mostly because it's more convicting to me of my lack of trust. <laughs> oh, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you? <laughs> Why do I have so much anxiety? Because I've got a lot of learning to trust you. <laughs> I'm growing. <laughs> I'm being changed. I'm being transformed. Well, He was asleep. Verse 25 says this, Then his disciples came to him, and they awoke him, of course. Lord, save us, they said, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. We're dying. We're being destroyed because of this storm. But he said to them, why are you fearful? Now, if you stop right there for a second, I'm smart-alecky enough to immediately reply, because there's an enormous storm that's destroying us, Lord, right? <laughs> you shouldn't interrupt the Lord, but I probably would have, because... <laughs> or just looked at him like dumbfounded like you seriously have to ask that <laughs> you know there's this crazy storm apparently the Lord decided to set the mood today <laughs> with our story <laughs> with this uh, rain his disciples came to him and they awoke him saying Lord save us we are perishing but he said to them why are you fearful oh you of little faith now, earlier on in the chapter, Jesus marveled at someone's great faith. It was the centurion, right? The centurion in the, the centurion in the Roman army who'd come to Jesus and said his servant was sick and he wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus said, I'll, okay, I'll come and I'll heal him. And then this guy, because he's filled with so much faith, is able to look at Jesus and say, listen, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my house. In fact... I am a man who understands authority. I'm a centurion soldier. I understand there are, there are soldiers under me, and I tell them what to do, and they go and do it. So I know that you can just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at that faith, at his great faith. Now, when it comes to his disciples, that was a centurion, <laughs> a Roman military leader, okay? Now it comes to his disciples, the people that he's called to be close to him, right? <laughs> They're like, Lord, save us. We're dying, even though he had already given a command to go to the other side, as it's been noted previously, uh, as it's been noted um, in, in the past. Jesus commanded them to go to the other side. I think if Jesus commands you to go to the other side, you maybe should be confident enough to say, you know what, Jesus said we're going to the other side. So, like, no matter what happens in this boat, bro, we're making it to the other side, right? Because Jesus commanded us to go to the other side. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? <laughs> I've been rebuked with those words before. Several times. <laughs> As I have followed Jesus. Why? Why are you so afraid? See, but stuff happens that we don't understand or that we don't expect. <clears throat> they were fearing for their lives at this point. Why are you fearful, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I mean... What was that moment like? This great storm. They cry out to Jesus. 
and then suddenly <clears throat> stops. He rebuked the winds and the sea. I often wonder what he said to him. <laughs> I rebuke you. <laughs> I don't know. He rebuked them. <laughs> like, I don't know. Knock it off. You know, <laughs> I don't know. How do you talk to a storm? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are uh, other places where he said the words there, peace, be still, right? Why are you fearful, you little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. <laughs> now, if you were on that boat, terrified for your life, and you wake Jesus up, and Jesus is able to just rebuke everything, and it all stops, what do you do then? What do you think then? Who did you think Jesus was before that event? What might you think after this event? And they ask, I think, a very pertinent question. Um, <clears throat> the question is, well, verse 27 says, the men marveled course, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Right? Who does that? Who is this man, Jesus? That's always the pertinent question. And if I'm following him, what is it, what is it that I'm, I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm fearful of? Psalm 107 um, says this. Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. He commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. I think this is a description of the disciples in the story we were just reading. <laughs> then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Amazing to me that that is, is there in Psalm 107. And now we see it literally happening <laughs> here. That exact same scene. Here in Matthew 8. I don't know what life is going to bring you. I just don't. I don't know what following Jesus is going to cost you in the end. I know that he asks us to abandon everything to follow him. What I do know is that he is Lord of all. That he is in charge. In fact, in the next story, we're going to find something amazing to me about the, um, even the realm of fallen angels. <laughs> the demonic realm, as we uh, might refer to it. Something that we saw, like in the book of Job, where Satan has to present himself before God. <laughs> and he's not able to do anything to Job until he has permission to do so. As I've said to you before, there is only one God. 
And he exists forever as Father and as Son and as Spirit. Three persons and yet one God. And everything else that there is, is something he made. He has no equal. There is nothing that rivals him. And as such, there's nothing that's hard for him. And I know that there are things that happen around the world that we don't understand. I get that. I also know there's a lot that I don't, I don't know. I don't understand how the, the, the butterfly effect of my kids making me late to get in my car to head to church and how on the way somebody blew through a red light at one point that I would have been there if I had been five seconds earlier and I would have been smashed. But see, I didn't see that. It didn't happen because my kids were complaining and they wouldn't let me get them in the car fast enough. And so all I'm saying is there's so much we don't know, guys, about why the things that happen to us and around us happen. We don't know how all of them are working together, but they are intricately knit together, cause and effect, in ways that we just can't see. <clears throat> Why are you fearful, are you a little faith? He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Sometimes he does that. <clears throat> Sometimes he stands up in the middle of the storm and he rebukes it. In fact, for you and I who have chosen to follow him, um, in one way or another, he's always going to, in the end, calm the storm. It might be when we see him. There will be no more storm. I also want to remind you that Jesus knows exactly when to do this in your situation. It's because he's using the circumstances of life to lead us and to teach us. To make us, to mold us into people who learn to trust him more and learn to be thinking about other people more than about ourselves. To walk in love. And I don't always know the right place. I, I don't always know the, the right time to do anything, frankly. I just don't see how all the pieces fit together because my sight is so limited. But he does. And he knows in your situation, he knows in, in whatever the thing is, whatever the storm is that may be in your life, in whatever season you find yourself in, um, he knows when to say, peace, be still. He knows when to calm it. And I have to admit that in the, the things that I've been through, he doesn't always do it when I want him to. In fact, more often than not, he hasn't. <laughs> because I am seeking safety. <laughs> and he's seeking something different for me. Because the ultimate goal of my life here on the earth is not my safety. It is his glory and the goodness of his kingdom. And you and I, we get to participate in that. We get to play a role in that. We get to be a part of it. Uh, because he is kind and merciful to us. But he knows what he's doing. That's the sort of the summary. That's the thing. He knows what he's doing. Their response to this is, who can this be? <laughs> really? Who can this be? Now, if they look back to the Psalms, <laughs> it's the Lord. <laughs> <clears throat> When he had come to the other side, we'll wrap up here with this real quickly. When he had come to the other side, this is this whole story, this end of Matthew 8, is this whole deal. He's like, we're going to the other side. So they get in a boat, and there's a storm. Oh no, I guess we're not going to the other side. No, 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 we're going to the other side. I said, we're going to the other side. I commanded you to go to the other side. I know that it's hard to follow me sometimes, <laughs> Jesus might say. Certainly doesn't always guarantee that you'll be safe, but we can trust him. 
when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, and there's some translations that say the, the Gadarenes, there are a couple of different areas, and some of the difficulty there with the, is just how similar the language is um, of the, the names of these areas. But there's a particular area that's right on the Sea of Galilee that is probably where this event took place. When he'd come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men. Now I want you to stop right there. This story is recorded for us in two of the other Gospels. And the other Gospel writers only talk about one person being here. So clearly there's a contradiction. I'm sorry, I can't even say it without laughing. Uh, <laughs> this is one of the things that I love about the Bible, is that it's circumstances like this that actually lend themselves to the credibility of the eyewitness accounts in the story. Because they do vary slightly. I want to say something very plain to you, very simple. If there were two people here in this story, of this event that took place, was there at least one person? <laughs> so, if the other gospel writers summarize the story by focusing on their narrative, focusing on one of the people, does that mean that there were not two people? No, it doesn't mean that but they're telling us the story in a particular way on purpose. There is absolutely no contradiction. In fact, if you do anything related to eyewitness accounts, I've taken enough uh, recorded statements of like car accidents to know that <laughs> stories vary, true stories vary slightly because different people notice different details in the story. And they include things that another one maybe forgot. Or maybe that wasn't the focus of what they were trying to say. And so they didn't include a particular detail that another person did. So anyhow, I love that about these texts. And this is a situation where that happens. When he had come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, men controlled by demons. There's more detail to this story in the other Gospels, so we won't go into all of the other details related to it because we'll get there when we get to those Gospels. But there's a reason why Matthew's bringing it up for us the way that he is. And suddenly they cried out saying, What? Have we, oh, sorry, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Stop, stop for just a second and think about the theology of these demons. They know who Jesus is. They recognize him to be the son of God. And they also recognize the idea of future torment or future judgment. <laughs> this is demons, bro. <laughs> These are fallen angels. They know. And as, of course, James says, even the demons believe and tremble. Right? <laughs> they know. Suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. See this area of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes on the other side, on the east side uh, of the uh, Sea of Galilee, is part of a region known as the Decapolis. It was ten cities that had a lot of uh, Gentile uh, folks living there. So a lot of non-Jews lived in this particular area here. It's in what is nowadays actually a demilitarized zone in between Israel and uh, Syria uh, there, and there's sort of a DMZ kind of all along this side of the uh, Jordan River there, or, or the uh, Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee there, so uh, that's where this area is. And uh, so we read in the story that there were a bunch of swine, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. That would be fairly normal, but it would not be normal for a bunch of Jewish people. <laughs> to have a bunch of swine because pigs are unclean okay so good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding so the demons begged him saying if you cast us out listen to the way that they I, i've not even heard some people that that claim that they know god pray with this kind of humility i mean listen to the way these demons are, are asking permission from the lord if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. Would you let us just go into those pigs over there? The other gospel writers tell us that they refer to themselves as demons, refer to themselves as legion because they are many. 
It's ominous. <laughs> These folks were had to be restrained with chains, but then couldn't be. They would break out of them. Um, possibly, re possibly related to this um, demonic influence, whatever it was. However, it exerted itself. The demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. The demons are asking permission from Jesus. If you're going to if you're going to command us to come out of these people that we've been controlling, at least let us go into these pigs over here. I have to confess that I've got no idea why. Like, I don't... I don't know. It has been suggested that what they end up doing with the pigs is what they wanted to do in the end to these guys who are demon-possessed. They're going to take the pigs and run them off a cliff, you know, basically throw them into the sea. They were tormenting these men who they were um, controlling. I don't know. It doesn't say what their motive was. Verse 32, though, says this. And he said to them, go. <laughs> it's so simple. Just one word. Just go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. What is that even... What does that look like? How does it even happen? Does anybody know? I mean, other than the guys now, like, begin to sit in their right mind, you know what I mean? Like, the guys that are hurting themselves, the other gospel writers say they were cutting themselves with stones. I mean, it was a, a mess. And then they begin to sit in their right minds, and then the pigs now. <laughs> and there's that old pastor's joke, right? This is like the first case of deviled ham. Right. <laughs> right. And everyone groans. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <clears throat> he said to them, go. I just, one of the things that's striking me this time going through the Gospel of Matthew is how simple all of this is for Jesus. He just, he rebukes the wind and the waves and it stops. He says to these demonic powers, go. And they go. It's just simple. And I want for that reality to, I, I want to believe it more. I, sometimes I think some things are just really hard. But When they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly, this is what they did with the swine, suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. So what did the demons do then? How no. <laughs> As my daughter says, how no. <laughs> how no. <laughs> they took these pigs and they just drove them into the water. Then they, who kept them, fled. The people who kept the pigs. Verse 33, Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men, which were now, the other gospel writers tell us, now they're like sitting, they're clothed, they're in their right mind, they're not cutting themselves like they were, they're not like breaking out of the chains, they had to be physically restrained, right? That's what society does to people that we deem a problem, right? Jail them, that's what they try to do for them. Didn't make them any better. You know, we try to rehabilitate people, but there was something else here that ended up actually working. <laughs> I told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And this was a wonderful evangelistic opportunity. It was amazing. This whole city now comes out to meet Jesus because these two guys, who they all knew to be a problem, are now no longer a problem. I mean, that's powerful. That's amazing. And the demons that were tormenting them were, were sent into these pigs. Now the pigs are all driven um, into the water. <laughs> and they all die. <sighs> So the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him. 
when they saw him, right, they fell down and worshipped him as the God that he is, right? They thanked him that these two men who had been tormented by demons were no longer tormented so. Nah, none of that happened. Their pigs were dead. It seems that they cared a lot more about those pigs than they did about anything else. Maybe this was their trade. Maybe this was how they made money. It could be hard to lose all of your income like that. <laughs> the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Get out of here. <laughs> and then the next chapter uh, begins, so he got into a boat, he crossed over, and he came back to his own city. Isn't this literally like the weirdest episode like, why is this here? <laughs> uh, so here's my, I'm going to try and make a very, very quick summary. Not that I need to be that quick, right? It's raining so hard, nobody's leaving yet. <laughs> uh, here's, my, here's my quick summary. Among all the, the things that we've uh, sort of discussed, um, listen, and, and this is maybe going to sound dumb, I don't know. It's not some big epiphany other than that um, maybe we just don't consider it. <clears throat> Jesus said in this world we would have tribulation and have trouble. Following him doesn't always look like what you think it's going to look like. In fact, sometimes it's downright hard because he says, I'm going to send you somewhere where you're not going to have a place to live. Maybe. Another question that you might ask yourself is, is he free to do that with me? Um, Paul says something I think is really important in um, the book of Galatians. <clears throat> and with, uh, concerning his own attitude about his relationship to God. Um, Paul says this in Galatians 2.20, you might remember it. I have been crucified with the Messiah. This was a theological position that Paul considered himself to be in. I have been crucified with the Messiah. These statements that Paul makes about his spiritual life, about his spiritual reality, are ones that he is calling us to trust, calling us to believe as well. As he says about himself, I am crucified, I have been crucified with Christ, I've been crucified with the Messiah, and here's what the implication of that is. It is no longer I who live, but the Messiah lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith or by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's really a statement of absolute surrender, saying that I died with Jesus on the cross. If we're saying that we want to be united together with him in the likeness of his resurrection, you want to be raised from the dead? <laughs> you, want, you want to be free from death? I do. <laughs> it means that we follow him. We're crucified with him. The life that I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul would say. Every part of your life belongs to God. In fact, Paul calls us to such in the um, book of Romans. Paul actually calls us very directly to that reality, a verse that we, uh, many of us uh, maybe uh, remember. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know or prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Living sacrifices. <laughs> You're still alive! But for you and I who have decided to follow Jesus, uh, we abandon everything else that we might know him. And in doing so, I think it's important for us to recognize that he has the right to do whatever he wants with us. 
In fact, Paul would write in another place as he quotes the uh, Old Testament prophets, he is the potter and we are the clay. And what right have we to say to the potter, why did you make me like this? <laughs> you see, because there are things that God is doing in your life that you don't understand and that maybe have less to do with you and more to do with what God is doing in the lives of the people around you. Is it okay for God to use your life that way? Like he used those pigs? These people were really mad about losing all their pigs, it seems. They were just like, just, we don't even, just get out of here. That was their response to Jesus. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe immediately we think, oh, well, that's not fair, or that's not whatever. But what, who am I to say that? He is God. And He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, in whatever way He wants, to whomever He wants, and nobody can tell Him otherwise. <laughs> now, one of the things that is incredibly humbling to me <laughs> is that knowing that, that God is absolutely sovereign. And yet he says to you and to me, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You guys, I want to learn to trust the Lord more and be more willing to ask him. <laughs> Knowing that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. And here's how it applies in our relationships. Instead of complaining that your food took too long to get to you at the restaurant or that it wasn't right, what would happen if we were people who prayed specifically for that server? Right in that moment, just say, Lord, would you just help them? Would you send people around them to point them to you that they would trust you? Or what about the person who... Um, doesn't go fast enough when the light turns green in front of you or the one who cuts you off by turning too fast when you're driving down the street and you've got to slam on brakes, right? What if we took those circumstances that immediately are abrasive to us and we turn them to the Lord in, a, in, a, in, a, in the way of prayer by specifically praying for people? And I, I thought about this in my uh, with my job, when I go to do a claim at somebody's house, Lord, what if I just what if I just prayed for these people? I had this cool opportunity to get to know people by name and to talk to them a little bit about their lives in their own homes. What if I would just pray for them? What might you do, you who are able to do anything? What might you do for them? Lord, and then a really humbling thought is, Lord, are, are you waiting for me to do this? before you do something in their lives. There's a reality that we find in the scriptures that um, God actually hears you, dear saints, and he responds to what you ask. And I find that reality very humbling. And one that I want to say, Lord, help me to, uh, help, me to <laughs> help me to walk in that more and to be more, to be thinking more about your kingdom, and about how what you're doing is is um, at work in the world around us, and how I can be a part of that, even in very simple ways, like praying for the people around me. Um, doesn't mean that things will always go your way. You follow Jesus, you might find yourself in the middle of a storm. In fact, I guarantee that you will. <laughs> Mostly because uh, such is the nature of life in a fallen world. Um, but there are also some that are directed by the Lord to teach us to trust Him more. And He is able to calm the storm whenever He sees fit. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Why are you fearful? <laughs> oh, you little thing. <laughs> And so my prayer is, once again, Lord, would you increase our faith? The whole deal, this whole deal of him going to the Gergesenes, to the gatherings, and healing these demon-possessed men, like, 
What is it for? Sometimes when you follow Jesus, he may send you to do ministry and you may think it's a colossal failure. We look at this scene and we say, oh, well, clearly he healed these people because then it would be a great opportunity for the gospel for this region. Nope, didn't happen. We find another place that he told one of the guys, said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, no, you stay here and you go and you tell the people in your city what I've done. <clears throat> sometimes he sends you places and you're like what do we do listen for those two demon possessed men I bet they were real happy Jesus came right is that enough <laughs> probably not <laughs> but is it enough that the Lord what if God uses your whole life and all of your ministry for Jesus to do something in one person's life or two in the life maybe of your children maybe of one relative does he have that kind of freedom in your heart to do that with you I realize the more I look at the scriptures I realize just how much I want to be in control (laughs) I just want so much control but I'm so dumb. (laughs) And he knows so much more than me. So I want to learn to trust him more. Father, would you help us to trust you more? Thank you for the kindness